And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Your peace you give in time of the storm. The disciples lived out that very experience. Your peace you give in time of the storm. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. That is the very account that we're going to be reading this morning and studying. Mark chapter 4. Go with me. The second gospel in the New Testament Matthew, then Mark. If you need a Bible, please grab one right there in front of you. And if you need to take that one home, please do so. We would love for you to have that as a gift from our church. Go to Matthew, then Mark, chapter 4. This morning is the concluding sermon of our series that we've been doing on Who's Your One? Now, I'm going to say it again. You've heard me say it every Sunday. This does not conclude us praying for people and sharing the gospel with them. That is the call of Christ, and it is a forever call. That is long here on this earth, we are to pray for people and to share the gospel with them. And so these series of sermons have been talking about that. It's been sharing out of Scripture the call of Christ. It's been explaining how we are to go about doing that. It's explaining to us what the Scripture teaches us about the power of God. And so these sermons have been preparing us to make that commitment. And all along the way, folks have been making a a commitment. And so this morning, as a part of the invitation, I'm going to invite you again to make a commitment, a white ping pong ball, write the initial of a person on that ping pong ball, drop it in the bowl. At the eight o'clock service, I let the church family know that we are at 986 who have made commitments to pray for one person and share the gospel with them. Isn't that wonderful? 986 have made a commitment to pray for one person and share the gospel with them. Please, this Sunday, would you make that commitment? We are getting ready to enter into the holiday season. Thanksgiving's coming up, then Christmas. We need to be praying. It may very well be that the one that the Lord has laid on your heart is someone that you're going to see during the holiday times. Would you make a commitment to pray for one person and share the gospel with them. I have a, there's a family who's uh, uh, worshipped with us. The mom sent me a text letting me know that at the end of the service, how a child, uh, their daughter, did something that penetrated. The Lord used it to penetrate my heart and to remind me that I am to pray big prayers. I am to pray, Lord, would you do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask and think? And the Lord used a little child to convict me of that. This mom texted me and let me know that her daughter at the end of the service asked, could I pray, could I do a ping pong ball? The one that I want to pray for is Kim Jong-un the leader of North Korea. And so that display right out there has a ping pong ball with KJU on it. Does he need to be saved? Amen. Folks, so many times we think, oh Lord, that person would never get saved. We have someone who's going to be praying for the North Korean leader. Who is the one that the Lord has laid on your heart? 
We have been going through this chapter talking about this commitment. It is not just a three-week, a six-week. It's not a two-month commitment. This is the call of Christ upon everyone who has called upon him in salvation, that you would pray for one person and share the gospel with them. Would you make that commitment? We've had a goal that we would have a 1,000 of our folks Folks, we can do better than that. I'm praying that God would do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We've had close to now 300 gospel conversations that have taken place just over these last five weeks. 300! To God be the glory. Amen. Let's make that commitment. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, from verse 1 all the way through where we are this morning, which we're going to start reading in verse 33, all the way from Mark 1, verse 1, to Mark 4, verse 32, Jesus has told four parables. I mean, the bulk of this chapter, four parables. The parable of the sower. The sower goes out and sows seed. And some of the seed is going to fall on different types of soil. But what we see in that is the assurance that God tells us that if you sow seed, he promises us some of that seed will fall on good soil and produce a harvest. We're to go about sowing the seed. Then he goes right into the parable of the lamp. If you're a sower of the seed, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if the lamp of your heart has been lit by the light of this world, why in the world would you put it under a basket? Don't hide it. That's the parable of the lamp. Goes right into the parable of the seed growing. The seed goes into the ground. The farmer goes to sleep. He goes down at night, rises in the morning, and the seed grows, and he knows not how. Folks, we're not going to be able to understand every single aspect of all the mysteries of God, but we do know that there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though we don't fully understand it, you plant that seed, and God does the work. The parable of the mustard seed Something so seemingly small and insignificant, and yet it produces this magnificent kingdom, this magnificent tree to help me to understand that even though I think I may be small and seemingly insignificant, and that I may think that my testimony won't make a single difference, that what difference can one person make? Friend, I want you to know it will make a difference to that one person. Let me ask you a question. Does one point make a difference in a game? (laughs) One point. One person makes a difference. Don't ever think, oh, it doesn't matter. If if I don't make a commitment, well, then uh, 985 others have, 986 others have, so it doesn't matter if I... One person, I'm calling upon you on behalf of Christ, would you make a commitment to the Lord? Not, you're not making a commitment to the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Hills Baptist Church. You're not making a commitment. You're making a commitment to the Lord. Answer the call of Christ. And so four parables. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of Mark chapter 4, and here's a real-life experience that happened to Jesus and the disciples. And we're thinking... Mark it, four parables, and then all of a sudden a story. There is actually a theologian that I've studying this week said that this is one of those times in Scripture where it's disjointed, and this is just something that Mark remembered at this point, and so he put it here in this chapter. Okay. No. No. 
The scripture is all connected. One thing leads right into another. And so there's a reason why this story of Jesus and the disciples in the midst of a storm is right there. We've had the parable of the sower. Sow the seed of the gospel. The the seed is the word of God. Don't hide your lamp under a basket. Remember that the seed will grow even though you don't understand it's the power of God and it's going to produce this magnificent kingdom of God. And then it goes right into a story where it tells us that the disciples are in a panic, they're terrified, they feel overwhelmed, and that they're about to go under. And that sounds exactly like every time I get ready to share the gospel, the feelings I go through. You see, this is the most evangelistic chapter in the Bible. This last story that we're going to read in Mark chapter 4 is not about Jesus will bring you through the storms of life. He will, but that's not what this story is about. It comes right at the end of all these evangelistic parables. Then we have this story of the disciples being in the midst of a storm. They're overwhelmed. They're panicked. The waves are filling the boat. They're about to go under. And what they found out is that there is only one who can save them. And his name is Jesus. You see, that's why it comes right here at the end of these parables. Those disciples needed to know There is one. Mark chapter 4. There are two transition verses that take place in 33 and 34. And by transition verses, what I mean by that is we've had parable, 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 parable. And then there's these two transition verses, 33, 34, and then 35 goes into the story. And so let's pick up 33, 34, because as I was studying that, boy, the Lord was just really showing me some truths in here. All right, here we go. Verse 33, Mark chapter 4. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, In my own heart, I'm praying that right now. And Lord, I pray that we would all pray that, that Lord, you would explain this to us. Because Lord, I can't do that. It is only the Spirit of God that can illumine our spirit to understand things. And so Lord, we need you. Father, I I pray that we would pray what Eli Eli told Samuel to do. Samuel, lie down and say, speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. Father, our Savior Jesus Christ has said to us in the reading of your word, if you have ears to hear, listen. And so, Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear. Our hearts, our minds would be open. Lord, may the Spirit of God do a mighty work in this place. May someone be saved. Our hearts turn to you. Add to us and call into the field, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark 33 opens with the words, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. And boy, that phrase, he spoke the word to them, jumped out at me. Remember, this is an evangelistic chapter talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says, he spoke the word to them, which here's what that reminds me. Make sure your words are based on the word. Make sure your words are based on the word. 
With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. Folks, listen, as you're talking with that individual, as someone comes to you and they're asking for advice on something, make sure your words are based on the word. And if you're saying, well, I I don't have any verses memorized, all right, well, first of all, let me challenge you, memorize some verses. But folks, even if you don't have a verse memorized, I want you to know you do know the truths of Scripture. And that is the Word of God. Do you believe God created? Amen. Yes, I believe God created. Do you believe we sinned against the God who created us? Yes, I believe that. Do you believe that there is one and only one who came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead? Yes. Do you believe he's coming back again? Yes. Do you believe that only through faith can a person be saved? Yes. Folks, we know the truths. Whenever you're talking with a person, they ask you for advice. Don't share your opinion on stuff. Base what you say on the word. That's the first thing I saw. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. And then it goes on to say, as they were able to hear it. Man, that phrase jumped off the page at me. As they were able to hear. What that means is that as they were going along, Jesus would reveal more and more truths to them. And we all know that. We know that as you go through the Gospels, there is the point that for the first time, Jesus says to them, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, and there he will be beaten and whipped, and he will be put to death, and he will raise from the dead in three days. He didn't tell them that right from the very beginning. He was revealing truth to them along as they could hear it. Okay, well, folks, it's the same thing in sharing the gospel. I want you to know that if you don't get any farther with a person, then I want you to know God loves you. If that's as far as you get with someone, if that's all they're able to receive at that point, you had a gospel conversation. Because gospel conversations are any aspect of the gospel in conversation. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't think, well, I I didn't get all the way to where talking about Jesus and I didn't get to the point of asking them if they wanted to put their faith in Christ. Friends, listen, the scripture says he taught them many things in parables as they were able to hear it. Now, folks, I'm not, this isn't saying so if, if you only get one part, then just stop there. That's not saying that. I've been at the bedside of someone, and, and I, you would know, have a lot of you in here would know, the wife was standing there at the bedside, husband's laying in the bed. And the wife had called me and said, please come and talk with my husband. He's lost. He knows he's lost. If I had stopped at Sir, do you you understand that God created the world? Yes. Okay. Well, then I'll come back later and we'll talk some more. That's not what that wife. Listen, the same Holy Spirit who has laid that person on your heart is the same Holy Spirit that will give you discernment. All I'm trying to help you to understand is sometimes we get discouraged if, well, I didn't go all the way through the gospel. Friends, you plant a seed And as the Lord moves, he'll take care of the rest. Here's the third phrase that jumped at me. 
Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. But privately to his own disciples. And here's what the Lord really convicted me about. I need to learn to linger with the Lord. You see, the disciples would be in, there were lots of times large crowds, and Jesus would teach them in parables. But then later, the ones who lingered, the ones who hung around longer, Jesus would privately explain to them everything. So many times when I'm going to sit down to read the Word of God right now, I'm in the book of Exodus. I'm reading through Exodus. So many times, okay, Exodus chapter 14, let me see, read it. Okay, good. I've read it. Lord, uh, thank you for this day. Help me. Amen. And now I'm ready for the rest of life. Well, I need to learn to linger with the Lord. Because, friends, in order to share our faith, that's where our faith is getting built up, is in those private moments with the Lord. So many times we say, I wish I knew more scripture. Linger with the Lord. I wish I prayed more. Then linger with the Lord. Privately, he would explain everything to them. He'll do the same thing for you. Now, let's go. Let's keep reading. Here we go. 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Let's stop there because there were some more things that the Lord really talked with me about. Here we go. Uh, Verse 35 opens with the words, on that day. On that day. Well, that's interesting that Mark would write that down. Most would believe that where Mark was getting this account was from Peter's eyewitness. That much of Mark's material in his gospel came from Peter telling him what took place. Well, Peter made it a point to say to Mark, it was on that same day. Well, what day? On the day that he had been teaching them all of these parables, when he had been taking earthly realities and laying a heavenly reality truth alongside of it. On that same day that he'd been teaching them with words, he is now going to lead them through an earthly reality experience and lay a heavenly truth alongside it. So here's the point that the Lord showed me. On that same day, here's what that means. God uses scripture and the storms of life to point us to him. Yes, we need to read the word of God. The word of God is given to us in order to instruct us. The word of God is perfect. Remember, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and then that God may be perfect, thoroughly trained for all good works. The word of God is given to instruct us, correct us, rebuke us. We need that. But did you also know that oftentimes the trial, the tribulation, the hard time, the tragedy, the suffering, the storm that you're going through, God is also using that to instruct you, to correct you, to rebuke you. God does use scripture and he uses the storms of life to point us to him. Man, those disciples have been sitting and listening to Jesus teach. And now 
He's going to take them through a real life experience to point them to him. And they needed that. Now, folks, that does not mean that every single thing that happens in your life, God's trying to lay a heavenly truth alongside of it. And the reason that we know that is because the scripture doesn't even show us that, that Jesus did that. As they're walking along the, the, the road, if, if one of the disciples happened to kick a pebble, I, don't, I doubt if Jesus said, now, you know, seeing you kick that pebble that, and, and try to lay a heavenly, didn't do that. So I'm not saying that every single moment of your life, you're supposed to try to lay a heavenly truth alongside of it. But boy, there are those events, the crises that happen in our life. And remember, a crisis doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. A baby being born is a crisis in that family. It is a wonderful thing, but boy, it is a huge change in your life. Did you know that a lot of times when folks have experienced bad news in life, they're very open to the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Lord uses hard times, tough times, to lay heavenly truths alongside of them. So the scripture says, on that same day, and then it says, when evening had come. And again, that is so interesting to me. Everyone, the, the whole, every word in the Bible is there for a reason. And so I can hear Peter saying to Mark, Peter, it was, it was the same day that he'd been teaching us those parables. As a matter of fact, it was evening time. And I think, why in the world would Peter be so specific to let him know it was evening time? For in the Jewish mind, using the word evening there means that the sun has gone down. Which what that means is, with the sun already having gone down, Jesus is saying to them, let us go across to the other side. Well, I'm sure these guys have been in a boat at night before, but why don't we just wait till in the morning? I mean, Jesus is telling them, let us go across to the other side, knowing full well that they're go he's going to take them right into the middle of a storm. And friends, I want you to know that in the Greek, the way this is written, when it says, and a great windstorm, the word that is used there for great windstorm in extra biblical Greek literature is the same word that they used for a hurricane. We're not talking about the wind just whipped up a little bit. We're talking a major storm hits them at night in the dark. Now, my family's been in a boat on a lake in a huge storm. It's no fun. Just like in the day, if it is pouring so hard that you're having a hard time seeing, folks, it's the same thing on a lake at night. What lights, few lights you used to be able to see on the land, what certain topographical, topographical, is that the right word? Topographical features that you could see, you can't see them. They're at night in the middle of a horrible storm. Why would they be out there then? And the only answer that I could find in Scripture is because Jesus told them to. 
And so here's the point. The first and most important step in sharing your faith is following the one in whom you believe. The first and most important step in sharing Christ with someone is to faithfully follow him. Folks, as much as we want to share our faith, we need to make sure that we're faithfully following the Lord. Matthew chapter 8 is Matthew's account of this same story. And in Matthew chapter 8, he states it even more forcefully. He says, and Jesus gave them orders to get in the boat and go across the lake. In Mark chapter 4, it says, and he got into the boat and they got in with him. Why are you guys getting in the boat right now? He told us to. Folks, don't ever underestimate the power of simple obedience in your witness to people. That faithfully, every day, they see you walking with the Lord. It's the first and most important step in sharing your faith is simply following the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And again, what an interesting phrase. Just as he was. I want you all to know, no less than three days this week, I thought about the phrase, just as he was. And you say, well, don't you have commentaries or helps that you can look at? I do. But what you're supposed to do is first talk with the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? And then go to helps. And so I need to hear from the Lord first. I thought about that for three days, just as he was. They took him in the boat just as he was. Well, folks, it's, it's not like our modern time, hey, you want to go to eat? Well, you mean like right now, just as I am, like do I need to change? It's not like Jesus needed to change clothes to go across the other side of the sea. He only had the outer cloak and the under cloak. That, that's all he owned. So what does it mean they took him just as he was? Well, here's what the Lord showed me. It's the only way to take him. We're to take him just as he was. We're to take him just as he is. I'm not supposed to try to change Jesus into someone that I want him to be or someone who follows my whims and my desires. I'm not supposed to soften the demands of the gospel. I'm not supposed to, whenever I'm sharing Jesus with someone, say to them, hey, listen, and if you'll get saved, you'll, you'll get money. It's an amazing thing. All of a sudden, you'll get money and you'll never get sick. Those are not the points of the gospel. We take him just as he is. And Jesus has said to us, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. And that is how we take him. Because we can't take him any other way. And so as we get then into the story... And a great windstorm rose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. 
And so now let's talk about what kind of Savior do we have? This is an evangelistic chapter. It's been showing us evangelism all the way through. What is Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trying to teach us here? What kind of Savior do we have? First of all, we see the humanity of Jesus. I love this story. And they took him just as he was. A great windstorm has arose. The waves are breaking into the boat. It's already filling. He's in the stern asleep on a cushion. And you know, in the way that it's written, this is not an accidental dozing. This is not you're sitting there watching your favorite TV show and you doze off. That's not it. He is in the stern asleep on a cushion. This sounds very intentional to me. So why? Why is he asleep on a cushion? Because he's tired. I thought that there was some great earthly uh, revelation about cows laying down. And so I can remember being with my dad one time. We're going down the highway outside Simon. I said, Dad, why are those cows lying down? He said, I guess they're tired. I mean, I thought it had to do with like storms or something like that. And he said, I guess they're tired. Why was Jesus asleep on the cushion? He's exhausted. He is tired. It's showing us the humanity of Jesus. If you have a sound machine, switch it to waves. Apparently, that helps Jesus fall asleep. Waves are beating against the boat. He's sound asleep. He's exhausted. He's tired. He also gets hungry. He gets thirsty. He grieves. He gets agitated. Because the scripture is trying to teach us he has experienced everything you've ever experienced, yet is without sin. He understands everything you've ever gone through. If you ever cry out to God, God, do you understand what I'm going through? Please know he does. And it's because it could only be a Savior who is 100% man that could take your place. It was only one who has experienced everything we've gone through. It's only one who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. It is only someone like us that could take our place. It shows his humanity. But then in one of the most great phrases in the Bible, look with me at verse 39. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind. Take that one phrase, listen to this. And he awoke and rebuked the wind. H.B. Charles is a great Baptist preacher. I would love to invite him to maybe come here someday and and preach at our church. H.B. Charles, I was listening to him one time, and he said he laid down as a man, and he got up as God. Jesus laid down as a man, and he got up as God, and he awoke. He did the very thing that every single person in here would do, and that is if someone's yelling at you, you'll wake up. He did what every single one of us would do. He is 100% man. And then he got up and rebuked the wind and did that which not a one of us could ever do. 100% man, 100% God. 
Friends, Muhammad is not 100% man and 100% God. Buddha's not. Confucius is not. There is not a single little G-O-D out there. There is not a philosophy. There's nothing out there except Jesus Christ, who is 100% man and 100% God. Now, friends, when he laid down and fell asleep showing us his humanity, if he gets up and all he is is 100% man, please listen to me. If all he is is 100% man, then let's take all the teachings of Mark 4, Mark 1, Mark 2 and 3. Let's take all the Gospels. Let's take everything in the Old Testament and New Testament and let's simply line it up with all the rest of the moral philosophies and witticisms that have been given to us over the centuries and then dismiss it. If all he is is a man, then all he gave us was something that we can smile about and encourage one another about. And as a Southwestern Seminary professor once said, we are mild-mannered men preaching mild-mannered sermons in order to help people become more mild-mannered. That's all it is. If he did not rebuke the wind and calm the sea, if he's just a man, then why are we here? But if he did, if he did, then it changes everything. It changes everything. Because now there is one who has the power to not only calm the sea, but he has the power to calm me. Now I know that there is one who can not only have the power to save those 12 disciples in the boat, but he has the power to save me. The humanity and the deity of this one. They also figured out that they have a savior who cares you know what, whenever I read that question that they ask, teacher, don't you, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, one of the reasons I think they asked that is because what they were experiencing him doing was such a departure from what they had normally seen. As a matter of fact, did you know this is the only verse in the scripture that tells us Jesus was sleeping? That's it. I think it was such a, de- a departure that normally they have seen Jesus in such action that he was healing, he was taking care of Peter's mother-in-law, the man with the withered hand, he healed him, the person with the leprosy, he made him clean. They kept seeing him in action, and now here it is happening to me. And friends, isn't that a picture of us? We see other people, seems like the Lord blesses them, and we say, but Lord, Do you care about me? And here's what they found out. He does. He does. Friend, if you ever wonder, does the Lord see me? He does. Does the Lord know about the sin I've done in my life. He does. You are both fully known and fully loved. There's nothing hidden about your life, and I want you to know he does care about you. They found out about the Savior. 
They found out about themselves. Isn't it interesting, the great windstorm, these guys are seasoned fishermen. They have crossed that lake no matter, I, I can't tell you how many times they've crossed it before. But this is a major windstorm. You have normal fishermen who have crossed in a normal boat at normal times, and all of a sudden something very abnormal is happening. And they are afraid. And it's because even though the scripture doesn't say it, I'm not adding one thing. Don't you think that they've been doing everything they could to bail water out of that boat? They're doing everything they can to try to save themselves. I'm sure they've already thrown overboard anything that they could have, they felt like they couldn't live without. And yet they are terrified. And what they are finding is that their works aren't going to save them. And it scares them to death. And folks, please listen. If you get scared about dying, if you get scared about where you would spend eternity, it may very well be because you're trying to base your salvation upon what you do in your life. On what your works, have I done enough good? And whenever we think about whether we've done enough good, we, we know that we're not because we've all fallen short and it makes us afraid. And boy, they learned about fear. It can sweep over you. It can paralyze you. It can put you into a panic. And God is using that moment to drive them to him. Lord, when I get scared, when I get in a panic, when I feel like all I'm doing is treading water, I'm trying to get the water out, and Lord, I'm going down. Lord, I will turn to you. And they learned something about salvation. There was only one in that boat who could save them. Peter wasn't going to be able to do it. James, John couldn't do it. Andrew couldn't do it. You can go through the whole list of them. None of them were going to be able to do it. There was only one in that boat who could save them, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Why is your faith so little if you'll just believe? There's only one at the end of this chapter. Of all the sowing of the seed, there is only one who can save you, and you've got to believe. Your faith solely in him. Don't you think that for the rest of their lives, these, these disciples had quite a story? Can't you hear them saying to someone one time, listen, I was in a boat, and, and I want you to know I was as good as dead. And Jesus saved us. And if right now you're thinking, well, I've never been in a storm like that. I've never been as good as dead. Oh, friend, you have. You have been as good as dead. And it's because we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are as good as dead. And there's only one who can save you. 
And that's the resulting goal. That's the purpose. That's the meaning behind the parable of the sower, the parable of the lamp, the parable of the seed, the mustard seed. There is only one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he has the power to save you. He has the power to move in your life. He has the power to bring joy, to bring peace, to get you through any storm. God alone, through his son, Jesus Christ, has the power. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that not one would leave without experiencing salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we try to put our faith in so many things. And Lord, every single one of us is going to fall short. There is only one who will never leave us nor forsake us. There is only one who died for us. There is only one who is 100% man and 100% God. And his name is Jesus. Lord, may we be so compelled by the love of Christ to share Christ. Lord, may someone be saved this morning. Hearts turn to you, Lord. I pray that people are making commitments right now of that one for whom they will pray and they will share the gospel. Lord, do a mighty work now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we have this time of invitation? Would you please respond to the Lord? Whether you stay there in your pew or you come down to the front, If you need to make a decision, come. If you don't know where you would spend eternity, come and give your heart to Jesus Christ. Recommit your heart to him. Come and pray. Go out door 11 or 1 and make a commitment to pray for someone and share the gospel with them. Come and join this church family, however the Lord's leading. You come.